0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome and uh, find your seat. We're going to get started. And those of you online, find your couch if you got up and got a drink. Um, we are still in our series in 1 uh, Corinthians, so you can turn there in your Bibles. Uh, the title of our series is The Cross and Paul talking to the First Corinthian church or the Corinthian church in the first century, telling them. Um, about what it looks like to truly live this new life in Christ based on the fact that Jesus says to come and follow me and pick up your cross. It's the idea of living a life that looks very different than the world would have been of Paul's day and even of our day of how life is perceived to be lived. Um, And this book for me has been really refreshing. In the midst of the world we live in and the mess going on and all the stuff, it's been really good for me to just read through, preach through, Think through this book, also reading through the book of John at the same time. So on my own quiet times, I've been reading slowly through the book of John to get a picture of the life of Christ, the life that he lived leading up to the cross, because the book of John is really a book that leads up to that moment when Jesus is crucified and pays the ultimate price. Um, And so it's been really refreshing for me. And of course, the theme that Paul talks about is he says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But it's God's power to us who are being saved. And today, we're going to look at that word power in a minute. But there's something important about this verse that to the world, it just looks like foolishness. This idea of not demanding your rights, of not fighting and standing up for yourself and do it. That idea of actually being a servant, of laying down your life, not compromising the truth, right? But actually speaking the truth and then being willing to serve out of that truth, regardless of the consequences. It's just such a foreign concept. And it wasn't Paul's day. It's been a foreign concept since mankind chose to say, forget you, God, I want to do what I want. And the cross is really the remedy of that. It's the thing that brings everything back around to what you think life is really about. Because Jesus said what life is truly about is giving your life for the glory of God and for serving people so that they can see who God is fully. And Jesus did that in submitting to every earthly authority. We've looked over the last several weeks at some of the various topics and messages that are there. Um, kind of, just to kind of sum it up, you know, Paul, as he's writing, deals with kind of who Jesus is. Then he jumps into some of the issues and the foundation that he lays. And kind of talking through some of the carnalities and flesh that the first, this Corinthian church was dealing with in this first century and how they were living for themselves. They weren't living truly for Christ and for what he wanted. And then now in chapter 12, where we find ourselves, Paul makes a transition and he transitions into this idea of spiritualities. He goes from talking about the flesh and carnality and all this stuff. And he says, okay, now, now that I've laid this foundation of who Jesus is, I've explained to you your position where you stand with God, and the mess you're in, I want to tell you about some very encouraging spiritual things that you can understand about God and depend on. These three chapters that we're going to look at that really deal with this, which is kind of four, going into chapter 12, 13, 14, and 15, these chapters are some of the most controversial passages sometimes in the New Testament church, and they shouldn't be. It's like the book of Revelation. We're going to preach through the book of Revelation this fall. I don't want to do it. And the reason I don't want to do it is not because it's not the book of, it's not the Bible, it's not God's word. It's because it always brings a bunch of discussions that are pointless. Jesus said, you won't know the times of the season the Father is set by his own authority, but you will be my witnesses and tell people about how awesome I am. And we get to the book of Revelation, and everybody forgets about how awesome God is, and we argue about when's it coming, when's the end coming, is it going to be a meteor that went off this week, or was it an earthquake? Or I mean, we start—I mean, we get nuts. And it's like I—and the book of Revelation says this is a book you should read and be encouraged and worship with, and instead, it's a book we argue with. And kind of this section of Corinthians is kind of the same way, and it drives me batty. Because it it should not be that way. It shouldn't be that way. Paul just got done talking about all the flesh and carnality and divisions and arguments we cause. And then we come to this point when he starts talking about the really spiritual things. And we're like, hey, let's argue about that and divide. That'd be good. Just stop. Now, does that mean we don't look at what's true in these passages? And we don't wrestle with them And maybe we see things a little bit differently And we try to figure out how to work through that Yeah, that's called a family (laughs) That's what happens in your family When your wife goes to the grocery Or you go to the grocery And you buy something you weren't supposed to buy Right? Why did you buy that? Because I thought it would be a good idea Did we talk about that? No, but I like it Well then fine, I'll go buy something too You know Versus, okay, well, if that's how you saw it, I'll deal with it. I don't see it that way, but we can still love each other, right? We can still get along. We can, we can discuss, yeah. So as we jump into this chapter, here's the issue we have to deal with. And here's the question. From the Spirit. How do you know if something is from the Spirit of God versus some crazy other spirit? Demonic, fleshly. How do you know if something's from the Spirit? Because everybody tells you that they're speaking on God's behalf. Every religion tells you that a Spirit told them, an essence, a force told them, and you should believe me. How in the world do we know if something's from the Spirit or not? Well, can I just tell you one of the biggest proofs is the fact that Jesus died. He laid down his life to prove to you that what he said was true and what he said about the Holy Spirit was true. All the other religious leaders, they build up. They don't tear themselves down to build their own little kingdom versus laying down their lives. And so that's a huge question. Now, we'll see in a moment that we're going to get into the topic of the idea of speaking in tongues, and that's the big controversial topic in this passage. I'm not really going to deal with that today. I will deal with it later because it's going to come back up, and it's interesting because Mark's going to preach next week, so that's incentive for you to come back. Mark's going to preach; you don't have to listen to me. Mark's going to preach next week, and in between chapter twelve and thirteen of First Corinthians, and this topic of what's spiritual and all these spiritual gifts, you know what chapter's there? Chapter thirteen. You know what that chapter's called? The love chapter. You think that's an accident that Paul's talking about all these spiritual things and the Holy Spirit, and then he says, oh, um, and let me spend a whole chapter r- reminding you how to love one another. It's not a coincidence. It's important for us to engage. And so here we go, chapter 12. He transitions. He says this in 12.1, now concerning what comes from the Spirit, there's that word, from the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. Paul's saying there's a bunch of people causing divisions. They're running around telling you, I've got the Spirit. I'm speaking on behalf of God. I'm speaking on behalf of God. I know what the Bible says. This is how I see it. This is how I interpret it. This is what I think. There's all these people running around, and Paul says, look, I've got to take some time so that you're able to understand what's from the Spirit of God and what isn't. He's already talked about it from the standpoint of sin. He's already said these things are not of the Spirit like the guy that's sleeping with his father's wife, right? The divisions that are people who are, who are divisive. He lists all these things before we get here of all these things like you know, the, but now there's these things that you have to still try to determine is this the Holy Spirit or not? It's not like quite clear that that's an obvious sin. And so Paul's like, I've got to spend some time helping you because you live in a culture that is everybody says they speak on behalf of God and they don't. They don't, and some of them think they do, and they're just personally deceived. And so Paul goes into this, and he says, the reason I'm writing this is because I want you to be aware. Listen, it couldn't be more important for us today to be aware, because we walk around unaware and uncaring of so much. We don't want to fight. We just want it to be easy. We don't want to, you know, offend anyone, to a point where we are just emotionally dead. And like it's a good thing that you're just emotionless. Well, should I have emotions? Should I be happy? Should I be sad? How should I? Is that of the Spirit? Is it? That's what Paul's talking about. Jesus said it this way in John 14:1. Jesus said, your heart must not be troubled. <laughs> really? Mine's troubled on a daily basis. You... I mean, I open Facebook, turn on the news, you're like, there's trouble. It's all over. Look, it sells like crazy. There's trouble. I mean, this week we had that thing go off. They're still discussing what was the thing that blew up? Well, we don't know. Boy, does that bug us not to know, right? We got to know what caused that. Well, did it change our lives? No, but we still got to figure out what the boom was. Like, it's so important. Something boomed. I'm okay with that. You know, I mean, Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God. Jesus says, believe also in me. Jump to to verse 12. It says, I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and the one and will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. If you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the Father, look at this, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. So first thing about is something from the Holy Spirit is, is it true? Does it line up with the truth of what God has said in his word and what Jesus said when he came on the earth? Does it line up with the truth of God's character and the truth that he's revealed in his word? Most of the time we don't start there. Most of the time, we start like Adam and Eve, listening to a serpent. We have all these doubts. We get troubled in our heart because we hear something we didn't know before, some new found teaching or truth, and we're like, oh, I don't know what to do. So we talk to all our friends. We go online. We search for all different articles to read on it. And meanwhile, God, sitting with the Bible, with the power of the Holy Spirit, is going, hello, I'd love to talk to you about this. I'd love for you to read about me and my word. Could you just stop and go there? I know it's hard work, you don't know the Bible very well, and I'm a big God, but maybe don't depend on Google algorithm to show you what to believe. I mean, Jesus is like, he, want, he sent you a counselor that, that connects with the Word of God, so the Holy Spirit is always going to lead you to the Word, period. He's going to take you back to the Word of God every single time. And we forget that. And he says, if you love me, you'll love what? The word, the commands of God. You'll want to know what I have to say. So if you you really want to know what's from the Spirit, first, check your own heart. Are you troubled? Are you actually believing in God? Or is there something you want God to do that you're believing in? And if he doesn't do it, you won't believe in it. And you're done with it. Do you believe that Jesus wants to do great works through you? Now, remember, we've talked about this before, and I'll show it in a second. When Jesus says great works, he's not talking about signs and wonders. See, that's how we interpret the Holy Spirit. We say the Holy Spirit is present because we can see it. A counselor is not someone you can necessarily, other people, see. Like, you go to your counselor, and you go to someone and say, I went and saw my counselor this week. Oh, I really don't know if I can believe in you unless I meet your counselor. I think you're lying to me. You have no counselor. No, I have a counselor. I pay him. It costs me a lot of money. Well, I don't know. Like, the reason we know that Jesus is not talking about here, he's talking about the works of obedience. Listen, I've said this before. The greatest work Jesus ever did was he never disobeyed. Not once. That is a work that none of you will do. No human being will do. It is the single greatest work he ever did was he never disappointed his father. He never lied. He never cheated. He never went for himself. He always focused on the father's glory. He always focused on what was important about God. He worked within the family trinity, father, son, Holy Spirit, exactly how he was supposed to. That was the ultimate work. And so he says the greatest works that we can do is obedience. If you're obeying God and saying no to your flesh and no to the mess, Jesus is like, you're in a good place. (laughs) That's the evidence of the Spirit in your life if you're struggling and wrestling. In, In Matthew, it says this. Some of the scribes and Pharisees said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. We want to see the Holy Spirit is on you, working. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. You know what the sign of the prophet Jonah was? God's kind of done with his people and he's taken the gospel to those crazy Assyrian Gentiles and they're actually gonna repent while you guys are still in rebellion. Oh, and Jonah got swallowed by a fish and got spit up three days later. Jesus is gonna be in a deray for three days and come back to life, which we're gonna celebrate Easter, Passover coming up. That's the sign you're going to get. You like that sign? The Jews didn't like the prophet Jonah. Jonah didn't like the prophet Jonah. Did you ever read the book? Jonah didn't like himself. He didn't like himself. He didn't like God was going to make him do this. He actually said, throw me overboard so I can die because I don't like myself so I don't have to obey God. That's how much God, Jonah did not want to do God's Holy Spirit work. (laughs) And God swallowed him with a fish. Can you imagine me and the fishermen that like throw him over and they're like, well, I don't know if this is good. And then the fish swallows him, and you're like, oh. And then Jonah thinks, okay, finally, I don't have to talk to those stupid Gentiles. I don't have to surrender my life to those wicked people. And God spits him up on the land, smelling like fish, right? To a people that worship fish. Wait, you got spit up by one of our gods? We should probably listen to you. And goes and preaches, and his message is the worst evangelistic message probably in the history of the Bible. He literally walks in the city and says, all of you are going to perish by the God of Yahweh if you don't repent. Have a nice day. I'm going to go sit on the mountain and watch you die. That is literally, that's his message. And they repent. Because God's spirit is at work. They said, we want to obey your God. Jonah didn't come with any signs or wonders. He didn't say, watch this, Poof. Oof. He just came in and said, my God spit me up by a fish. I know that's hard to believe you weren't there to see it, but I'm telling you. So, and they repented. So the sign, the true sign of the spirit working is obedience. It is the number one. It's not tongues. It's not healings. It's not miracles. That is not the number one sign. He goes on to say this. You know that when you were pagans, you know, that when, uh, there it goes. you know that when you were pagans, you used to be led off to the idols that could not speak. Therefore, I'm informing you that no one speaking by the Spirit says, Jesus is cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Remember, the word Jesus is Lord means Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah. So no one can say, Yahweh is the only one who saves, and he is the only one that can save us as the Messiah. Lots of people say Jesus is Lord. Very few of them understand when they say that, that they're saying that, Jesus, that Yahweh is their only path to salvation and he has full rights for them to surrender their life to him as the Messiah and Savior of the world. That's what the name means. And we've cheapened it in our day. It's more of a cuss word among lost people than it is a name of surrender among God's people. That has to break God's heart. Has to break his heart. He says, you know, you used to be led off by the idols that couldn't speak. You see, the key indicator that you have an idol is that you're led off by it. That you don't give yourself to the body of Christ. You don't surrender yourself to die for others. You don't give yourself to God's bride and his family. You wander off to chase whatever it is in your mind, that thing that you think is right that the Spirit told you that you're gonna do. Even when the Reformation happened with Martin Luther and he was challenging the teachings of the church, Martin Luther never wanted to start another church. He never wanted to like start a new branch. Of Christianity. He just didn't have an option. People started flocking to him for the truth. And he's like look. I'm praying that the church would be reformed. That's why it's called the reformation. I'm praying that this church would reform itself. And stop doing wicked things. And they won't. So I don't know what else to do. But to meet and teach you. And then you guys go challenge those people. Oh and by the way. Then the church started killing all of the people that challenged them. Because I can't reform I have to kill you because I'm in control as the church. And that is such the sign of idolatry. The sign of idolatry is that sign that I am right, no one else, I cannot be challenged. Versus humbly saying, is this from the Spirit? Could God be doing something? Let's check into it. Let's be patient. Let's pray. Let's look. Let's see. He says, your idols lead you away. You see, our, the personality cult in our culture is one of the huge signs of idolatry. There is no greater sign of idolatry than wanting someone's name. Sign my autograph. Autograph this for me. Oh, look. A human being signed my book. I'll sign anything you want. Anything. After service. I'll, I'll be... I'll. I'll give my signature to you all day. Why does my signature mean nothing to you or those joining online? Because I'm not in a cult of personality. Nope, I'm not famous. Most of the time you can write my name and show people like, oh, I know that guy. Like, it's gonna be problematic for you. Not a celebration. People are gonna say, oh, wait, is his brother the person that built the new hospital? Oh, that, IU Health, oh, they're the big evil giant. Like, I'm just gonna, it's just not gonna go well if you have my signature, But we love that cult of personality, that that I'm going to, oh, this is an important person, which Paul's going to address in a minute. You see, with unique powers and unique influence, because I want to be that. I want to have that unique power and unique influence. I want to be special. And then that unique person, you know what they do? They start selling you things. They start stressing the importance of you giving them your resources, right? That's why they're on a commercial. They'll be like... Icy hot, right? Oh, look, my new shoes. You deserve a new Toyota. And they will pay people millions because they know we'll follow them. It's not, Paul's addressing this. He goes, you're chasing all these created idols. And Paul's like, why aren't you chasing the word of God and chasing him? Stop. Stop. You're supposed to be different. I know the world chases all that stuff. That's fine. It's one of the reasons why I struggle with how we advertise as a church and put ourselves out there. It's like, I'm not trying to say, oh, look at us. We're great. I'm just trying to be faithful. I'm not against churches that advertise. Hear me out. We've got a banner up here now. Woo, great. Like, that's not what I'm against. It's just, if that's going to cost us so we can't give to missions, then keep the advertising money so we can give to missions. Like, these are simple things. And Paul says, so I'm informing you that no one speaking by the Spirit is going to say, Jesus isn't God, he isn't. He's, he's cursed, he's a garbage heap. He's terrible. Well, yeah, that pretty much means they don't have the Holy Spirit. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't say that about Jesus. The Holy Spirit does say Jesus is Lord. Do you realize that the Holy Spirit can cause people to say Jesus is Lord even though they don't believe that Jesus is Lord? Happens all over scripture. Caiaphas prophesied three different things about Jesus when he was going through the cross that he was prophesying a curse over and it was actually the exact truth. You can read it in the book of John. It's amazing. <laughs> three times. He says, and you're this. And Jesus is like, yep. That's as you say, yeah. Pilate says, you, they say you're the king of Ju- the Jews. Pilate's like, It's as you say. You said it, not me. I don't need to declare myself the king of the Jews. You just said it, Pilate. You're in charge of this whole area as a Roman official. Thank you very much. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, can there be people who say the power of the Holy Spirit or say they believe in God and not? Yeah, we'll see that in a sec. John 16, 8 says this. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, this is Jesus' teaching, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. What we believe is when the Holy Spirit comes, there will be incredible unity and everyone will get along and there'll be miracles and healings and the worship will be awesome. Like it's lasers and smokes and everybody's going to be crying and it's going to be beautiful and that is such evidence that the Holy Spirit just showed up. I'm not against any of those things. But why is it that when people are convicted about sin, righteousness, and judgment and he and people are talking about sin, righteousness, and judgment in our world, we're more concerned about offending people are than we are actually warning people. I'm not saying we should run about and be offensive. I just, the gospel's offensive. The Holy Spirit's offensive to your flesh, my flesh, my selfishness, because it calls me to go back to the cross. And I don't want to do that. I would like to keep my spirit in this body. And the Bible says that my spirit's not going to stay in here. And I'm going to die. And I try to avoid that. (laughs) Because I like being in this body right now. I don't know anything different. He goes on, he says, about sin because they do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment because the rule of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. In other words, I'm going to send people like Paul later to tell you. When the spirit of truth comes, look at this. He will guide you into the truth. He repeats this again and again in scripture. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. The Holy Spirit is not running around doing Holy Spirit stuff. The Holy Spirit is saying, what do I need to do to glorify the Son? And the Son is saying, well, let me check with the Father. We want to do what glorifies the Father. And the Father says, I put all the glory on the Son. And Jesus says, Holy Spirit, be glorified so that we can all get the glory. That's how the Trinity works. It's a unified, beautiful picture of a body that works together, one God in its different forms. It's glorious. John goes on to say, Jesus says, he will glorify me. Anytime you see a church glorifying the Holy Spirit after this sermon, I hope you recoil a little bit. I hope you recoil just a tad. To ask, is that really from the Spirit? Because when I read the Scriptures, the goal of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. Not glorify itself and say, look at the Holy Spirit. He goes on, he says, because he will take what is from mine, or what is mine, and declare it to you. It's a declaration. He's trying to get people to believe. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to get people to believe in God. It's not to show off. It's to get people to believe. And sometimes God does things to shake us to the core to show us we need to believe in something different than we're trusting in. Welcome to a pandemic the last two years. He goes on and he says, everything from the Father, the Father has his mind. This is why I told you that he, the Holy Spirit, takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. We work together to save men and to glorify the Godhead. Jesus goes on to say in Chapter 15, verse 26. Oh, that's bad. When the counselor comes, the Holy Spirit, look, the one I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. He won't testify about himself. He will testify. That's why he says, if you're saying Jesus is Lord, that's a good indicator that the Holy Spirit is involved. But if you're talking about all the Holy Spirit, yeah, be careful. Because the Holy Spirit's full role and full pleasure is to put all the glory on the Son. And the Son's full pleasure is to put all the glory on the Father. And the Father's full pleasure is to put all the glory back on the Son. And the Son's full pleasure is to put the glory on the Holy Spirit that's in us when we become believers. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. He goes on and says this. Now, here's where we get to the controversy. Now, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. The Bible says that there are spiritual gifts that we are given at the moment that we believe. Some people think that we can have gifts later. I don't know if we get all our gifts at the moment we believe, or if the Holy Spirit gives gifts along the way. Good luck figuring that out. I just know it's the Holy Spirit who gives it for the sole purpose of making Jesus known and revealing the truth of God to us. That's it. He goes on he says, there are different ministries. The word there for ministry is dekanos. It's the idea of deacon. It's the idea of ministries that you are surrendered to within the context of the church, the local church. But the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God activates each gift in each person. He's talking about unity here. There is one God, but there are different parts. Same thing in the church. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. To produce what is beneficial. Beneficial for who? I would argue, number one, beneficial for Jesus because the Holy Spirit's trying to show Jesus off. Number two, beneficial for others. Because the Holy Spirit wants others to believe and you're already a believer so it's not as beneficial to you as it is to someone who doesn't know and beneficial to you last. And most of what we do in the Holy Spirit realm in our culture is us first. It's us first. It's I gotta have the Spirit for me. You already have it if you know Christ. What do you mean you have to have it? You already have it. When we run around, we talk about it in our churches. Well, the Spirit showed up. Well, I I thought He was here because He's in here and He's in there and He's in you and any of you that are believers. I didn't know we had to get Him to show up. I, I thought He was already here. And we talk Old Testament kind of mentality when it's a New Testament church and Jesus said He sent it. Listen, why do you want the Holy Spirit to work in your life? Because your finances are bad? Because you're sick? Because you want to know some outcome or decision coming up that you want to be successful in? Or you truly want the Holy Spirit in your life to come in and clean the house of your heart so that you can better glorify God, better make Him known to the world, and you can better reflect who Jesus is and die to yourself? Because that's the teaching of Scripture that I struggle with and all Christians have struggled with that Paul's writing about. And he's writing to a church that's doing all this stuff for their own benefit instead of the benefit of the body. Matthew 7, Jesus says this, So then you will know them, these people that say they have the Spirit, that say they believe in God, that say they're from God and from the Spirit, by their fruits. Listen, I don't know if someone's saved or not. I mean, you can in- Like if someone says Jesus is cursed, I'm talking about someone who says Jesus is Lord. I don't know if someone is saved or not, but I am a fruit inspector. I inspect fruit in my own heart, and I look at fruit, and I try to inspect the fruit. And if the fruit isn't leading to people making Jesus known and surrendering themselves to other people, dying to themselves to build others up, I don't like your fruit. And I'm going to challenge it, and you're going to be offended. It happens all the time. And I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just going to ask you, well, maybe you're supposed to die to yourself in this situation. And if I think, oh, you're not supposed to die, the other person's killing you, then we'll go confront that person. Stop killing them. You're using them wrongly. Don't do that. Like, that's how it's supposed to work in the church. And Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord... Well, it just said that if you say Jesus is Lord, then the Holy Spirit's with you, right? That's the litmus test today that people say. Well, if you believe in Jesus and you just say, Lord Jesus, then I can't challenge your salvation, I can't inspect any fruit in your life, I just have to accept whatever you give. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. What's the will of the Father? To glorify the Son. What's the will of the Son, to give us help in glorifying the Father? What's the will of the Holy Spirit to glorify the Son? And then the Son. Glo- and the way we glorify Him is to say no to what we want to do, and what we think. And we ask him what he thinks, and we ask others, how do I lay down my life better? What is the proper way to lay down my life? Not enabling people so they can keep sinning, but in a way that calls people to repentance. And that is a hard conversation that doesn't make numbers flash and go big. It's difficult. It's tedious. But it's worth it. It's what Jesus did. When he came to the cross, there was nobody left. Everybody left him because they couldn't stand how offensive he was. He had just a handful of people because he just offended everybody. Trying to get them to see. And then after he came back to life, praise the Lord, they realized he's right. (laughs) That's why we celebrate Easter because he proved himself to be true. So when you're making a decision, you're wondering whether something's from the Spirit, if you're wondering whether you're saved or not, well, let me just ask you, have you done what the Father's will is? You know what the Father's will is? For you to admit you're a sinner. For you to admit that you're selfish and you need help. For you to surrender your life to Christ and then surrender your life to other believers and serving them and helping grow together. That's the will of the Father. It's been the will since the beginning of time. It hasn't changed. And it's what we fight more than anything. And every time we see ourselves leaving from something, we better ask the question, am I being sent out or am I leaving because I think I have the Spirit and they don't? And have I had that conversation with those folks? Galatians 5.22 says this about fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You can do as much of them as you want. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, and envying one another. Knowledge puffs up. The Bible says that. Solomon says that. Knowledge puffs us up to think that we know something other people don't. And the body of Christ and serving and like marriage humbles you. So you don't know as much as you thought you did. You really think you're knowledgeable? You really think you got it under control? Have, I don't know, eight to 12 kids. Just try it. Adopt them, birth them, have eight to 12 kids and see how clueless you are and how important God is to your every moment of existence. I mean, because God wants to build a family and sure, you're gonna wanna run from that. Oh, there's 12 kids at home. I might want to stay at work for four more hours. You know what I mean? But instead, you run to home to serve, to give your life. He goes on and he says, if you don't, you're going to provoke. You're going to be conceited. It's not going to be the spirit. Oh, and by the way, these terms, love, all these words that we have up here, please define them biblically, not by the world's definition. By the world's definition, God's love has no wrath. And wrath has no love. That's separating the character of God. God is fully loving in his wrath, and he is fully wrathful and still loving. It's both. He he is the same, always. I I tell people all the time, God can do a lot worse to me than some of the things he does to me. I deserve worse. I deserve death. And yet he's merciful because he loves me. And when you start with that premise, all of a sudden you start to see the world properly around you instead of demanding your rights and demanding what you want and, and being entitled and deserve, you begin to see what God wants and you begin to tell people his will and look at what he wants done and it changes everything. And that's what Paul's talking about here. I mean, how many times have you looked at God and said, God, I've been patient enough. Here's my fruit. Look how, look how patient I've been. Now it's time for you to do what I want you to do. Um, I don't think you understand the definition of patience because you don't get to make the definition. God does. (laughs) God can be kind and still be, you can kindly kill someone. You know that? Or you can mercilessly kill someone. See, we don't think that way anymore. But it's the character of God that shows us the broken and messed up world we live in. 1 Corinthians goes on to say, to one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. So he's talking about the spiritual gifts. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between the Spirits. To another, different kinds of languages. To another, interpretation of languages. But to one and the same Spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as the Spirit wills. As God wills, not as you will. That's why Paul says not everyone speaks in tongues. We'll see in a minute. Not everybody does. That's not evidence of the Holy Spirit because you babbled. That's not evidence. It might be, but it's not. By the way, what's the last thing Paul mentions in the list? Tongues, languages. Look at all the stuff before that we ignore so we can get real controversial about the last part. Paul says, Wisdom. Well, wisdom's kind of boring. I'd rather just be fancy and speak in tongues. He says, A message of knowledge. All these are speaking things, by the way. Do you see that? They're speaking. It's making Christ known, it's making God, it's saying here's the wisdom of God, here's the knowledge of God, the same spirit, another one, faith, here's how I trust God, gifts of healing by the same spirit. Yeah, there are people who are healers, many of them go to school for a long time, so they can better heal people, because that's what preachers do. Preachers go to Bible school. They go to some kind of schooling. I've been to multiple classes and things. No, I haven't completed my master's. Every time I try, I move. So I haven't tried again because I don't want to move. I'll just be honest. I've got of gun shy. He goes through all of this. Oh, and by the way, the word miracles in that passage, look it up sometime. The word is dunamis. It's the same word Paul uses when he says That the cross is foolishness to those who believe, but it is God's miracle. Or to those who do not believe, but it's God's dunamis miracle to those who do believe. See, we've made this miracle thing to this fancy, wow. No, it's the miracle of the cross. People dying to themselves, surrendering their life is the ultimate miracle. It is the ultimate evidence when someone surrenders that the Holy Spirit was involved, which is why heaven breaks out in a party every time you repent. Every time I repent and I say no to sin and yes to God, heaven says, that's the glory of God. That's the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus at work. The Father's excited. woohoo! I wish we had that heart for obedience. Not legalism of I got to earn from God. I don't want to disappoint God. Just, I just want... I just want to be part of the family. So that word miracles there, we've interpreted to be this crazy, you know, weird thing. It's like, it's not. It's really simple. It's just power. And it's the same word that all over the Bible that's used. In Numbers, look at this. It says, then the Lord descended... In the cloud and spoke to him, Moses. He took some of the spirit that was on Moses and placed the spirit on the 70 elders. As the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. They spoke about the glory of God. That's what prophecy is. Prophecy is telling true things about God. It is not future telling. Let me say that again. Prophecy is telling true things about God, not future telling. Can prophecy be future telling? Yes, but that's very rare in scripture. Very rare. Prophecy is just speaking what's true. Everybody's speaking. They're like, this is what's true about God. It's a worship service. And then Moses says, if only all the Lord's people were prophets, and the Lord would place his spirit on them. Do you realize that under the new covenant, the Lord didn't place his spirit on you. He placed it in you. Moses didn't see that coming. (laughs) Moses like, I just want an autumn. I don't know if I want it in me because it almost killed me. When God passed by and hit him in a rock. But see, once you've already died, you're not afraid of dying and allowing the Holy Spirit to come in because you're already dead. There's no fear. But if you're trying to hold on to your life, oh, there's fear there. You're afraid. But if you'll release it, oh, he goes on to say this. Nehemiah said this. You sent your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. You were patient with them for many years and your spirit warned them through your prophets. The goal of a prophet is to tell the truth about God and to warn people about what's coming. You realize that you have the ability to future tell. Here it is. Jesus is coming back. Guaranteed, you're a prophet, go. (laughs) It's true. You know the future. Oh, and you're going to die. That's the other thing. You tell people, I'm going to die. Trying to, that's just going to happen. You're going to die too. And there's a real God. And he says, your spirit warned them, but they would not listen. Therefore, you handed them over to the surrounding peoples. Romans says this in Romans 8, one of the most beautiful chapters in Romans. I love this chapter that talks about who we are in Christ So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those who are led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Glory to the Father! The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and if children also heirs. Here's the problem. We want all the rights to being an heir now and there are churches that'll run around and tell you you can have all the rights to being an heir in this dead body and you can't. That's what the prodigal son said to his father. I have all the rights to be an heir, give it to me. And the father said, I can give it to you but you must leave if you want it now. And then he went and he almost died and he came to his senses and he came back to the father and said, I have no rights. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. And the father had mercy, which we sang about earlier on him, and allowed him back. That's the picture here that Paul's writing about. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him. Wait, so I'm going to be an heir of a king with power but he's going to ask me to suffer? That's not how kings work. Kings like command armies and they do fancy stuff and big things and make stuff happen. No, in my kingdom, the family dies together. We serve together. We give our lives together because that's what Jesus glorified himself in doing. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. For the children eagerly, or the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Wow. See, Paul's trying to get this across, and he writes this in Romans, just like he's writing to the Corinthians, to get them to see the purpose of the life they live. Isaiah said this. He said that someday a shoot would grow up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots will bear fruit. For to the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord. Notice it doesn't say a spirit of miracles. But he does go on to say in 61.1, the spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news, that's words, to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. That means you have to recognize, look at this, you have to recognize you're poor, you're broken, you have no freedom and you're a slave and you're a prisoner. If you don't recognize that, you can't be delivered because you're gonna look at the person and go, I'm fine, I don't need to be delivered to nothing. Don't tell me I'm a prisoner. I'm free. No, you're not. Like he's coming to bring the good news because the news of what's true is really bad. Then he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know when the year of the Lord's favor is? It's the year of Jubilee that isn't here yet. It's going to come when Jesus comes back. It's why the disciples turned away from Jesus. They were expecting jubilee. They were expecting the year of favor, and Jesus died on a cross, and they went, that's not what we're looking for. And the day of our God's vengeance to comfort all who mourn. He is both loving, compassionate, wants to heal, and he is jealous like a lover and vengeful. That's our God, folks. Ezekiel says this, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I'll remove your heart of stone, praise the Lord, and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow. Look at this. The point of him putting his spirit in you and me is so that we can follow his statutes and carefully observe his ordinances. Then you will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. We aren't in the land yet. It's being built in heaven. Jesus is gonna bring it in revelation out of a cloud and it's gonna come to the earth. That's the land we're sending money to. It's like those people that travel across our southern border. They come here. There's like 10 guys living in one home doing roofing, the hardest job there is, and they're sending all of their money back to their family. Because this isn't our home. This is just where we're using the resources we need to really truly give to what we're responsible for and we love. I wish Christians lived that way. I wish I lived more that way. It was so convicting to have those guys on my roof and watch them work when I couldn't do it. My foot wouldn't walk on the roof. I could, physically couldn't do it. It was so like, goodness, so humbling. And then to watch the oldest man on the team FaceTiming with his wife and his children in the middle of his lunch break the entire time. Man, I wish that was my heart for God and his people. It shows that the spirit, it shows what you worship. Micah says this, as for me, however, I am filled with power. Again, it's that concept of miracles. By the spirit of the Lord with justice and courage to proclaim to Jacob. What are we going to proclaim to Jacob? How great he is? How wonderful he is? No, you're going to proclaim his rebellion and to Israel their sin. Like you're going to need courage to do that because it's not what people want to hear. And you don't want to do it meanly, and God's going to get you. You want to do it with, God was going to get me, but he saved me, and he's going to get all of us, and I hope hope you'll be saved. He goes on to say this, for as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we are all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm a hand, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. See, here's our problem we go to pride or depression. We brag about being an ear, or we think we're depressed because we're not an ear. Just be an ear. Just do simple. Obey God with what he's called you to. And if you don't know how much of that, you don't understand your spiritual gifts, okay, you know how you figure out your spiritual gifts? Just be obedient for a while. People will tell you what you're good at and not good at, I promise you. Especially people who love you. They'll be like, that's not your gift. We love you. They'll look at you and be like, and this is what you really are good at. This is your heart, your compassion. Like, oh, wow. But we won't get that close to people. We won't give people that kind of permission in our life. We keep them at a distance. We want to come to church and declare what our gift is and declare our rights to serve, not surrender. And Paul says, if you've drunk of the Holy Spirit, then you understand that it's just my job to come and be a part of the family. You know, one of the things we talk about in our church often is the idea of family chores, right? Right? I don't know about you, but we've talked about this many times. No one's gifted in my house. I say this over and over. You've heard it. No one's gifted in my house to do the dishes. I wish, I wish we had a gifted dishwasher in our home. I wish we did. So you know what we do since no one's gifted? I've asked my son and myself to lay down our lives to make sure the dishes are done, and that's what we do. It's what we've been doing for years. The men of the house are going to do what no one is gifted to do because it needs to be done. Clint unloads and I load. I don't say that braggingly. I wish I had had a better heart when I do it. But every time I do it, I'm like, it's just a chore. (laughs) You see, we don't like chores. We don't see how chores help us to be disciplined and humble us and cause us to think about, why am I putting that off? Oh, because I want to do what I want to do. Like chores help us, the discipline of doing that. And that's what he's talking about here. It's like there's things you're gifted to do and there's just things that have to be done. He goes on, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of its parts in a body just as he wanted. And if they were all in the same part, where would the body be? Now, there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. This isn't rocket science. Okay? Now, we still are responsible to determine, is someone really a part of the body? Do they really produce fruit? Are they really disciplined? Or are they declaring, this is my gift, and I refuse to do anything else because this is my giftedness, and this is what I have to do? Jesus was gifted to be the king of the world, and He died for humans when we were the ones that deserved to die. If that's not the biggest chore ever done in the history of man, I don't know what is. He goes on and says this: "But even more. Even more than you're an ear, you're, those are exciting, feeling, emotional part. Ears can hear things. Noses can smell things, and eyes can see things, and heads can think things. He says, but even more, those parts of the bodies that seem to be weaker are necessary. Some versions say are even more important. And those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we clothe these with great honor, and uh, and our unpresentable parts have better presentation. Please don't present your unpresentable parts as proof of this text. Let me ask you something. How protected out of all the parts of your body is your heart and your brain? They've got muscle and fat and bone around them to protect them. You can lose all your limbs and still let live. You'll need a lot of help. You can cut off every finger, every hand, every foot, your legs, your arms, and you'll live just fine. Lose a heart, you're done. Lose a pancreas, a little pancreas. You're done. We give such honor to the things we see that move around and, oh, look at that. You want to be a pancreas? Because, see, being a pancreas shows that you understand who God is. And you deserve to be nothing, but he's included you in your body, so I'll do whatever he wants me to do. And I'll sit here and I'll do pancreatic things all day long for the body of Christ, whatever that is. I think it helps regulate bile. So let's, I mean, that's what I'll do. He goes on and he says, but our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together, giving great honor to the less honorable so that there would be no division in the body but that the members would have the same affection or concern for one another I don't know about you but I don't get very concerned about my pancreas until I know because of a ton of symptoms that it's not working right but if I cut my finger I'm not very happy it's like oh finger I'm so sorry and I bandage it and I care for it I do everything for it But the other parts of my body, I'm like, liver, you need to understand. I needed that extra piece of cheesecake, liver. I mean, I I needed it. So you just work for me, liver. But if the other parts that people can see are hurt, oh, I got to fix those, I got to take care of those. Paul says that exposes what you believe is from the Spirit or not. He goes on and says, So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ. And individual members, just like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's individual pieces. And God has placed these in the church. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Next, miracles. That's power. Then gifts of healings, helpings, managing, various kinds of languages. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other languages? Do all interpret? The answer to all of those questions is no. (laughs) No, you don't. That's why we need each other. He goes on and he says, but desire the greater gifts. Instead of desiring these things, desire the greater gifts than being an apostle. Or being a teacher. Well, being an apostle is really important. That's a really great thing. Now, that's kind of a visible arm. Why don't you do something greater, like be a pancreas? Well, that doesn't seem very great. Like, nobody sees me, and I'm just tucked up in there. Nobody even knows I exist until there's a problem. It's like the sound people. Like, nobody knows the sound team exists until, like, the mics go off, and everybody's like, "Raw! like, kill him," you know? How dare you, Michael? Why don't you have your act together? We're trying to have a good time here. You know what I mean? It's like we, and yet it just runs consistently. He goes on, he says, Now you are one body, but desire the greater gifts. And then Paul says this to close chapter 12 before he goes into the rest, he says, I just showed you all this great stuff about the Holy Spirit. I just laid out for you how you can see if something's from the Spirit or not. Check your heart. You can go through it. Go back through these scriptures. Read them over and over again. They're online. Click on them. Read them. You'll see all you need to know about the Holy Spirit. And if you know Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he indwells us at the moment of salvation. When he cleanses us, he puts the Holy Spirit in our hearts so that we can start obeying now. He doesn't wait. He doesn't hold obedience on a string and be like, well, you know me, but you got to get, here's the carrot. You know? Try harder. That would be punishment. Like, no, I give you the Holy Spirit so you can do it. You can't without it. So he's not keeping something from us like this other filling I have to go get. You don't need a second filling of the Holy Spirit. It's again like a second filling of Jesus. Well, I trusted him and asked him to come into my life by faith and I surrendered my life to him, but I'm kind of looking for the cream-filled Jesus because this one's kind of just a normal glazed. No! This is Jesus! So he comes and he fills us completely. And Paul says, but I'll show you an even better way than miracles. Being a prophet, being a teacher, being an eye, being an ear. I'll show you something even more glorious. And then he goes into chapter 13 and he says that, well, right before that. Now we'll just go to, okay, we'll go to this. In Matthew it says this. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons and in your name perform miracles. That's all the stuff Paul just listed. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you leave me, you who practice lawlessness. You never have a heart. You never had a heart to obey me. You never had a heart to give your life to the body. You never had a heart to surrender to others. It was always about you. And it showed because you kept chasing idols of miracles and crazy stuff instead of living a faithful life. And you just kept breaking my laws instead of calling people to live for the law of God because he loves them. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, does them, will become like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Let me explain something to you really quickly with this quote. By grace alone, fruit is shown. I normally don't put my own little quotes on the board. It's normally just scripture. This is one that just hit me this week as I was reading through this. Like, how do you balance works and grace? It's really simple. If you believe that Jesus saves you by grace alone and you surrender your life to him, he says that as you do that, he is going to grow you. He is going to produce the fruit that will be shown to the body and shown to the world. That's what he does. And so if you believe that God saves you by grace alone. There's no carrot on a string. You've got to try to chase and get more of God, more of the Holy Spirit. No, you got it. Just allow him to produce his fruit. And the way that fruit is produced is by you doing all these things, repenting, the truth, leaning into God's word, being in God's family, holding one another accountable. That's how you show fruit. It's farming. You plant a seed. People water it. They take care of it. It's it's how you grow plants. So the better thing that Paul says, Paul says this, let me teach you about the better thing, the better fruit. If I speak in human or angelic languages, interesting because they're arguing about tongues in this church, we'll see later. They're arguing about the idea of speaking and showing off what you can speak. And Paul starts the better way with, y'all want to speak in languages. Hold on a sec. But I do not have love... I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I so, if I would have had a cymbal, we sold Clint's drum set. If I would have had a cymbal, I was gonna bring it in today and just clang the bejeebers out of it right now while I'm talking. Just so you're like, stop, right? If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, woo, that'd be cool. But I do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, look at how much I sacrifice, but I do not have love. I gain nothing. Mark's going to do a great job of talking about this next week. But I am telling you, the greatest example of love was Jesus coming and loving his father so much, he obeyed every single thing he was asked, that he agreed to at the foundation of the world. And the Holy Spirit comes behind him and glorifies Jesus. And the Trinity works together for the glory of God. And it is an incredible, beautiful picture of the cross, of us dying to ourselves, believing that there is a resurrection, that I don't have to try to get here, it's going to come one day. That's the point. And Paul says the point is the love that Jesus had to do that for us when he had every right to do none of it. He had every right to wipe us off the face of the planet and start over like Noah. But he didn't. Let me ask you, do you know the love of God? Have you experienced the love of God, the true love of God that tells you the truth about your heart and your brokenness and your wrath and your anger and all the mess? If you don't, can I just encourage you today, God wants you to hear this message from the Spirit. He is calling you to surrender your life to him. From the power of his Holy Spirit, he is calling to you saying, don't ignore this. Please listen. All the prophets, they tried to get the attention of the people and they wouldn't listen. And God is saying, please listen. Surrender your life to me. Give your life. Believe that I'll pay all for all the wrongs, all the sins you've ever done and all you're going to do. I'll pay for it and allow me to produce in you the fruit of the gospel, not the fruit of this world. And for those of us who are believers, Are you more concerned about the world's fruit or are you more concerned about the fruit of the Spirit? Are you more concerned about you not getting the fruits of the world in your life or are you more concerned that you don't see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control coming out of you? My prayer for you is that you would lean into what Paul says, the body of Christ. You would lean into Christ. You'd lean into the Holy Spirit. You'd lean into the church family and say, I need help. And that we'd help one another live a simple life of surrender. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for chapter 12 of Corinthians that just lays this out so clearly. And there's so much confusion about the spirit. There's so much confusion out there. And Lord, there doesn't have to be. This is very simple. We looked at scriptures all over your word to show what the purpose of the spirit is. And in this moment, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to speak to each of our hearts in this room, mine included, to hear the words that we are loved. And because you love us, you discipline us and you call us to what's true because people who love you tell you the truth. And you've done it so graciously by coming and giving your life when you could have just come with a sword and said, obey or else, you came and you took the sword. Lord, I pray that that would be our heart in our jobs, in our families, in our lives, and in our world today, that we would stand for the truth boldly and firmly like you did, but we would expect the consequences of suffering, pain, and difficulty. And it says you rejoiced in that. I pray we would find a way within the context of the family of God to rejoice that as we suffer together, we would suffer with the other parts. We would encourage, we would help, we would come together. And Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just make it for us, we'd be so concerned that there are those that don't know this that are perishing that we'd invite them in. And Father, I pray for those that are listening online or in this room that have not surrendered to you. Lord, I pray today be the day that by faith, they finally say, I'm done, I surrender. And for those of us who have surrendered, I pray that today be the day that we just thank you. Thank you that you're patient with us. Thank you that we can keep coming back to you and you keep telling us, I'm your Abba Father. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Holy Spirit, thank you for glorifying and doing your work in our lives, the Holy Trinity. We pray in your name. Amen.